Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. Before I get started, I would like to say this. Bob was mentioning as we were praying for COVID, the uh, story in Matthew, it's in Matthew chapter 9, where they were lowering the man down in the roof. Maybe my mind just works a different way than most people, but my favorite part of that whole story is not the miracle that happened. It's in verse 4 where Jesus rebukes them for their whispering gossip. In Matthew 4, he says, I heard their whispering gossip. You know, how could he do this? How could he heal somebody? And, you know, is it easier to forgive sins or to heal a person? He goes on, and then Jesus further goes against culture by in verse chapter, I mean in chapter, sorry, in verse 9, going to lunch with the big tax collector right after. Like I'm gonna, I want to listen to your whispering, whispering gossip, right? Were they vaccinated? Did they have their mask on? Did they do that? And I'm going to further take that another level and I'm going to take out the person in the room that you think is the worst sinner here to show you how I'm going to go so against culture to be loved to my neighbor. And to me, we're experiencing something right now. I just lost a dear friend, one of my closest friends, and had to bury him this week and speak at his funeral who died of COVID. So I don't want to politicize any of this, and I don't want to make anybody feel guilty or shameful, but I'm saying we all have an opportunity to do right now to love our neighbor more than ever, whether that's praying for them, going to visit them. If that means you need to get vaccine, uh, vaccinated or not or wear a mask or not, like... Just ask Holy Spirit, what can I do to love my neighbor during this time? Because if you're watching Facebook and the news and everything else, that's not happening. <laughs> so how can I love my neighbor? Which has nothing to do with what I'm saying today. So that's my little rant on COVID. I would like to say this, what an incredible honor it is to be at Blue Jean Church. I love this place. I brag on you guys all the time. I watch you online. I do have an announcement. Josh's new podcast, Abundant Encounters, came out again this morning. Every Sunday, if you're not listening to it, it's amazing. Get to know Josh when he's big and no longer in Selma and he's blown up and he's all over the world. You can say, I knew that guy. Uh, He was preaching barefoot at Selma one time. So anyway, it's on iTunes, I'm sure SoundCloud, all kind of other things, but it's awesome. It's a short podcast, and it is really good to meditate, listen to. Can't say enough about it, so great job, Josh. Um, It's such an honor to speak here, to be invited to come here. I really feel like family when I'm here. And before I ever share anything, and I I don't know if I've ever done this while we're here, but could we just honor Bob and Ann? What an amazing job as leaders. To create this kind of environment is something special. And for me personally as well, like Bob is one of the few people that I don't feel like is manipulating me when I talk to him. Like I can have an honest conversation with him and say, no, I just don't want to do that. Like, could I just not do that and it still be okay? And he said, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so you guys have done such a good job here. And that's what attracts me so much to your friendship and just wanting to come down here. So we love you guys. So glad Ann's in the service. She is closer than ever to being born again. If she could get saved, this woman is going to be a powerhouse. So I'm just kidding, Ann. Anyway, we love you guys. Um, 
this message, and you'll have to bear with me, is not what I came to preach. <laughs> so we're sitting on the porch last night. We're talking about my friend that died from COVID, and we kind of were re-preaching his funeral again. This guy was, uh, he worked at Honda um, and was just a hard worker, retired, and gave his life to missions. Locally, globally, anywhere, he was the epitome of, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. If you ask him to do something, he did everything. Um, and never would take a dime from it, and just, I'm talking about with a heart of love. So we were preaching his funeral, and you just go on and on and on about what all this person did. And Jerry and I were talking about it last night, and he said, why does more people not do that? And we finally landed on that most people care so much about what other people think that you can really never just be yourself. And so I want to preach or share or talk today just about comparison. I don't even know what the title would be. Just be you, run your race, uh, do you, you know, produce your fruit. I don't know. Come up with your churchy title name for the, you know, YouTube. But essentially, I just want to talk about how big of a deal it is when we compare ourselves with others. Because if you don't know who you are, that's when we get in trouble. <laughs> if you don't know your identity, that's when we get in trouble. And so one of the most important things we can do is learn who we are and if we know who we are everything else kind of falls into place right I know I shared it when I was here last time in Ephesians it says you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens there is nothing else so if you're coming today looking for God's going to give me something that's just going to put me over the top you already have it you have full access to it and people say, well, I just want to be closer to Jesus. Well, he says you're seated in heavenly places with him. There's really not much closer you can get. You just have to understand who you are and the access you have, and all of that kind of falls into place when you, when you are aware of it, right? Uh, Henry Ford had a quote. He said, the secret of success is to find out what one's destiny is and then do it. You know, and you've seen those memes on Facebook, like the most important days when you were born and when you find out why you were born, like all that kind of stuff. And we post them and retweet them, but we don't really believe that. And this is not going to be long, by the way, so everybody can take a deep, everybody just, let's do that for a second. Everybody take a deep breath. Breathe in, breathe out. So thank God it's not going to be long. There was a pastor one time, his name was Randy Knox, and he, his wife came in, she had a skirt on. She said, oh, honey, you look beautiful today. And she sat down and he said, as I'm looking at my wife, I want to remind you that I love sermons like I love my wife's skirt. It's long enough to cover the essentials, but short enough to keep my attention. And so today I'm going to share, share just enough to keep your attention, but long enough that I can get my point across and hopefully God can speak to us. But my assignment today is to help someone break free from the curse of comparison. That is a big deal. <laughs> this has been a struggle of mine my entire life. And so I know most of you are still polishing your halos this morning as you come in. You don't have any struggles like I do. But this has been a huge problem of mine my entire life. And how many of you know that comparison can just eat you up, right? I mean, we've all dealt with it at some point. If not, we've talked about somebody that's dealt with it. <laughs> And now we don't talk about it as much as they do. Like, it's just rampant in our world. And, you know, your life can be fine, and then all of a sudden you see someone, right? I see their boat, I see their pool, I see their car, I see their new job, and now your life just sucks. 
I mean, your life was great before, but you see something and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my life is over. Did you see that they got a new boat? And then we make up reasons why we're justifying how we're judging their boat. Oh, I'm sure they're paying payments. There's no way they have enough money with his job. Like, you know, and so they went on that second vacation. Well, you can do anything with credit. Talk to me in 20 years. You know, I mean, we do this, but we just compare and we compare and we compare and it eats us alive. I mean, it really does. It creates such judgment in it. It's the whole keeping up with the Joneses. Well, I fixed that. I just bring the Joneses with me. So we're friends with the Joneses. I don't have to keep up with them. But that's the whole world we live in. If you get a car, I want a better car. If you get a boat, I want a bigger boat. If you get a pool, I want to, and by the way, I have a pool, and it's not all it's cracked up to be. Every day you have to skim it and change the filter and get snakes out of it and put salt in it and do all this stuff. Yes, it's a blessing, but it's a curse too. You know, growing up, my brother, uh, I have, and you guys know my testimony if you've been here before, so a lot of death in my family, but my brother that's still alive, he was the middle brother, and he was like the epitome of everything in our house. He could fight. Nobody wanted to fight him. He was just like the toughest guy in the area. He could play any kind of sport, like was just phenomenal in all kind of sports. Um, you know, had all the pretty girlfriends, head cheerleader. Like, I mean, it was just on and on and on. I'm a virgin. Like, that's he would always, you know, talk about how he was a virgin and, you know, his, you know, innocence. And he didn't cuss and he didn't drink and he didn't smoke. And my parents in the living room had a picture of him the size of this screen. Was his, I am not kidding. The size of that screen, if he's watching Tim, yes, I am still resentful. He had a picture the size of that screen of his class portrait. And then my class portrait was like right here. I am not kidding. And I thought, how can I live up to the expectations of this guy? I mean, I'd already done more stuff before I got to high school than I had heard him talk about, and he was grown. I'm like, there's no way I can live up to this guy. And that comparison just started eating away at me. And it does all of us. Like you see somebody, just like I said, they go on a second vacation. You're like, how in the world can they go on a second vacation? Or you see a homeschool mom with like seven kids and everybody's hair is fixed and everybody's bathed and they all look fabulous. And you're like, how does she do that? You know? Or a guy flexing at the gym. You know, I was just at CrossFit. I, I go to CrossFit, believe it or not. I know, I have to work for this amazing thing. But... Uh, I was just at CrossFit this past week, and a guy I know, he's older than me, he took his shirt off. And I thought, man, I wish I could take my shirt off. I've taken my shirt off one time in that gym, and it's because I was doing handstand push-ups, and my shirt, because I sweat so much, was waterboarding me the whole time. So it was a survival thing for me. It was not I'm taking my shirt off to show everyone. But I was thinking that same thing. My buddy, his name's Hobie. I'm like, man, I wish I could take my shirt off and work out of here. I would never do that. But I'm, it was constantly comparing, like, you know, I, I, he could do this, I could do that, I'm better than him at this. And that comparison just starts getting. And what I've learned is that when comparison starts, that's when contentment ends. Think about that for a second. When comparison starts, that's when your contentment ends. It goes out the window. Because what it does is it creates an attitude of either you being superior or inferior, and both are not from God. 
I'm either better than that person and it creates that whole scenario or either I'm not as good as that person and it takes you down another rabbit hole. And both are not from God. But it creates that kind of mindset, that kind of better than, worse than attitude. Uh, Andy Stanley, a long time ago, I used to love reading his books and stuff uh, when Holly and I first got married. And he preached a message one time on the land of Ur, the mountain of Ur. And he was talking about a comparison. Everybody needs something that's bigger. I want my car to go faster. I want to be richer. I need to be stronger. If I could just be skinnier. And this mount of Ur would take you out of a place of contentment because you constantly lived in a state of comparison. I wish I could sing like Rick. Wish I could play the guitar like this. Wish I could pray like Colin. I wish I could dance like Bob. I mean, whatever the, it, your mind just constantly goes to think about it. You've probably done it while you've come in today. At some point, you've probably looked at something and in your mind made a comparison or a judgment. It's just a natural thing that we do. But it's so dangerous because it can take us on such a off path of what God has for us. I, I'm not talking to anybody in here but me, right? That's okay. Okay, thank you, Colin. Colin has a mask on. I can't tell if he's frowning or smiling at me. That's the only reason I hate him. Thank you, Colin. Um, there was a rivalry. I've always been compared to Peter in the Bible. I don't know why. But there was a rivalry between him and John. So Jerry and I were talking last night on, let's just, you should just preach on being yourself. And I'm like, great idea. Let's do that. I'll go try to figure out a message about it. So as I'm trying to go to bed last night, I've got my phone and I'm reading through the Bible and I find a couple of guys comparing things and I thought this would be perfect to share. And I'd never seen it because I've always been compared to Peter, you know, and I wanted to be like John. I wanted to be the son of thunder, you know, and then later John becomes the one that Jesus loved. So now I want to be the one that Jesus loves, right? But I'm just never going to be that guy, and I don't know why. I mean, Jesus does love me, but I'm, I'm comparing what God has created me to do and who he created me to be with even Peter and John. Do you see how it works? Like, I want to be like him, not like Peter, but Peter was created for a specific purpose, just like you are. In John chapter 20, I love this. In John chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 1, it's Sunday morning. Let me set the stage for you. It's Sunday morning. The tomb is empty, right? The stone is rolled away. The women's freaking out. And the disciples are beside themselves. Now I want you to see what happens with John starting in verse 2. See if you pick up on it. In verse 1, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, saw the stone, and been removed from the entrance. Verse 2, So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, by the way, John is writing this. Already, John, I want to punch him in the face because he speaks about himself in third person. If you've ever met anybody like that, I mean, like, you know, Matt likes to go fishing when I'm down here with Bob's. I mean, you know, Matt, like, if you speak to yourself in third person, I am judging you today and comparing myself that I am better than you. Stop doing that in Jesus' name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please. But John says, hey, it's me. 
I'm writing it, and yes, I am the one that Jesus loves. It's me. I'm right here. And it says, they had taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John, started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple, what? Outran Peter. Thank you for including that, John. Not only am I the one that Jesus loves, I am faster than you. <laughs> I will get to the tomb before you do, sir. Probably because Jesus loves me more. But the, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked at the strips. Linen was laying there. Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight in the tomb and saw the strips as well. Where the cloth had been, the cloth was still lying in its place. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb, when? Just in case you didn't know, I'm John, the one Jesus loves, who was faster than Peter. And by the way, in case you didn't hear me the first time, I made it here first. Have you ever picked up on this in this scripture? Only my demented thought process would go this way. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, saw and believed. They still didn't understand. The disciples went back to where they were staying. Imagine that. The tomb is empty, and John says, hey, I got an idea. Jesus must not be there anymore. Let's have a race, Colin. You might can pray that way this morning, but let's see what you can do in the street, sir. Let's have a race. The person you love the most has just been crucified, buried, and now is missing, and your thought process is, Bob, let's have a race. Let's see who can get there first. That doesn't sound like any of us, does it? And Peter, you know, he's bold, has a big mouth, denies Jesus, all this kind of stuff, and God loves him just as much. You know, he shows up to him to reconcile this whole thing. And so if you don't think comparison creeps in, Think about it. In John chapter 21, what does Jesus say? Hey, Peter, do you love me? And I'm sure Peter's thinking, probably not like John. You know, he loves you more. Why do I say that? Look at what he says in verse 20 and 21. Peter turned, saw the disciples whom Jesus loved, who was following them. He even referenced it. Did you catch that? Peter saw the one whom Jesus loved. So again, I'm reminding you. I'm the one Jesus loves. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Because it's certainly not going to be me. Which one of these other idiots are going to betray you? I mean, can you imagine? If you can't relate to the Bible, I love the Bible. Like it is written like I was sitting at the table. Because I would be doing the same thing. Surely it's not me. Jerry, more than likely, is the one. But not me. So he's leaning back at the table. Which one will betray you? And in verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? What about him? Not me. What about him? Already shifting the blame, shifting the comparison. And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. See how Jesus turns that around? 
Don't worry about John. Don't worry about who's going to betray me. Don't worry about anybody else in the room. You be you, Peter. You be you. Then, of course, you read, the, you know, the rumors spread. The disciple who testified these things wrote them down. We know the testimony is true, blah, blah, blah. That's a paraphrase. And then he tells Peter, just feed my sheep. Just love people. Just feed my sheep. Just step into your calling. Just be who I created you to be. Don't look at anybody else. Don't worry about John. Forget about the race at the tomb. You just be you. Maybe I created you to be slower. Maybe you were supposed to be slower so you would see something that happened on the road before you got like, who knows? But you just be you. You can never follow Jesus fully if you're always comparing yourselves to others. It's almost impossible because you step out of your identity the minute that you do. And if God created you to be you, the moment I say, man, I wish I was wearing shorts today preaching. By the way, that is a true statement. I wish I was wearing shorts today when I was preaching. But I didn't. You know, the moment I do that, now I become, I want to be more like Bob. Not, I should wear, maybe what I should have said is, Jesus, what do you want me to wear today? What do you, how do you want me to dress that? How do you want, and I be who God created me to be. Because Isaiah 55, 11 says, I'm a word from God. I cannot return void. So if I show up today and just be me, his word will go out. It'll affect someone and it won't return void. If I just be me. If I try to be Colin or Josh or Bob or whoever, I'm no longer me and I step out of my calling and now my words could return void because I'm no longer in alignment with what God said. And so it's just about being you. Why don't we do that? Well, people say you have a sin nature. And I definitely am not trying to drop a theology bomb in here or kick over any sacred cows. So I apologize. I'm not 100% sure what the church's stance is on this. This is strictly my opinion. John, when he's introducing Jesus, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? That's in the Bible. Take that up with Jesus. So if we had a sin nature, when Jesus showed up, he took that away. So unless you were alive when Jesus was here, you no longer have a sin nature because Jesus took away the sin of the world. Now, that's a long theological discussion that we'll let Josh cover in one of his classes with you. But Jesus, if he took away the sin of the world, then he had to have taken away our sin nature. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, which is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and it's given you all the power to do the same thing, then it's possible that all that makes sense. Think about these things, says the Lord. <laughs> That's not the point of the message today, so please don't, don't lose it on that. But it, So people would say, well, why do we do it then? Why do we compare? And some people would say, well, you have a sin nature. I mean... The problem is not that we have a sin nature. The problem is that we're looking for an external win to fix an internal problem. So if I'm feeling bad about myself, and this is totally transparent and I am not proud of it, but if I'm feeling bad about myself, I will go and do something that I'm better at than someone else to make myself feel better. 
I'll go to the gym today and I'll work out and I'll beat somebody that I know that I you know, could compete with. And if I beat them, I'm like, well, not everything is bad because <laughs> I beat you, you know, so-and-so. And I may feel so bad that I even come home and say, Holly, I smote Hobie today at the gym. Like, you wouldn't believe it. Like, he, he didn't stand a chance. Take your shirt off all you want to. You're still not going to beat me, right? I mean, I will do the, and it's just that ego and that attitude and that comparison takes over, and you totally lose your identity and start walking in a different way. Therefore, you're not loving your neighbor and being a place of where God's heart shows up, like Josh talks about and all that kind of stuff. Because we're not doing what he called us to do. External validation can never fill an internal spiritual need. It's the same with addicts. It's the same with any divorce, everything. You go out and try to fill an internal spiritual need with an external validation. It never works. It may satisfy you for a short while, but long term it will never work. You cannot do it. You cannot fix an internal problem with an external spiritual need. That's why if somebody is overweight and they lose a lot of weight, if they don't fix the internal problem that got them to that place in the first time, they gain all their weight back, right? It's not about the weight gain. That's the fruit. That's not the root. If you don't deal with the root of the problem, you're going to keep producing the same fruit over and over and over. So you have to figure out what it is inside of you that's causing you to want to compare yourself to others. And I've done it. Most of my life I've wondered, am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Am I fast enough? Can I preach good enough? Can I do good enough? Can I, can I be good enough? Trying to live up to my brother's expectation, who, by the way, was a complete liar. He was not a virgin. He did drink. He did do a lot of stuff that nobody knew about. And I lived my entire childhood living up to a false expectation that I put on myself comparing myself to my brother. Think about how many times do we do that? You're probably doing it now. You're probably living up to a false expectation you've placed on yourself from some other thing. Could be a dad. You cut the entire yard and your dad says, you missed a spot. You wash the entire car, you missed a spot, right? Could be a job. Hey, appreciate you doing that, but you, you know, you should have done that report two weeks. It's just never good enough. You're always trying to live up to somebody's expectation. Facebook, I don't have enough followers. Instagram, nobody's liking my pictures. I mean, we've had people leave the church I was going to because someone did not like one of their Facebook posts. So I'll show you, I'll unfriend you, right? Have I done enough outside to make what's on the inside look good enough? That's essentially the story of my life. Have I produced enough now for Bob to love me? Have I done enough for Bob to love me? If I just say yes enough, would Bob love me? I'm just using Bob as an example because he's, he's sitting right there. But am I doing, am I doing, am I doing? So you can see on here, Holly even joked about it yesterday. I had no idea what I was preaching about. When I said, I just washed my truck, when I turned into Bob's driveway, I'm like, I just washed my truck. There's a big mud hole right at the front driveway. And she said, it's on the inside that what's mattered. Don't worry about your whitewash tombs. My wife is so, I mean, I am so glad I got a wife that knows everything 
to say at just the right time. Just this morning, Kim woke up. She's like, I've got heartburn. I need a Nexium. Anybody in here have a Nexium, by the way, for heartburn? If you don't or you have a Tums, see Kim after the service. Bob's got you covered. All right, so she said, do you have a Nexium? I'm walking up the steps to get ready. And Holly said, I don't have a Nexium. And I said, I don't either, but what I do have, I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus, be healed. And Holly's like, oh, someone's preaching today. <laughs> Who are you? It's so true. It took me years to come to this realization. But this is a question that we all need to ask ourselves today. Who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth? If you leave thinking about that, thinking about what Jesus is saying about it, that would be enough to get you through the rest of the week of trying to figure that out. Who or what? Because what will happen is you'll start catching yourself in conversations and situations on social media, all these different places where you're like, ooh, I'm comparing myself. Or, ooh, I'm trying to get my worth from working 80 hours a week. I'm trying to get my worth from doing more in the community than anybody else. I'm trying to get my worth from giving more money than anybody does. I'm trying to... There, all those things could be great unless that's where you're getting your worth from. Whose expectation am I trying to live up to? Who's going to define this worth? It could be your spouse. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. Every time I ever speak somewhere, I always get in the car and I'm waiting to hear one thing. You did a good job, baby. And I'm not putting any pressure on Holly, but if she doesn't do it, I'm like, I suck. This is exactly why I'm a failure. Like, your mind, my mind just goes immediately. Why? Because we have the power of life and death in our words. And so I'm just waiting for that confirmation, right? But what I'm really waiting for is not for Holly to say it. What I'm waiting for is for that internal spiritual need to hear God say, that was good. You did exactly what I created you to do today. I'm just not aware of it. Why? Because I'm placing all that expectation and all that worth on what she says to me, not on what God says. So I may hear Holly say it and never hear God say it. How dangerous is that? Because now everything I do, I'm doing because I'm basing it off, I'm going to get some affection or attention from Holly. So I'm going to preach today. Why? I'm going to preach in a way that Holly would respond to me not how God sent me to say or do or but you following that? Everybody tracking with me? I feel like I'm just rambling. So all right. I saw some head shaking in the back, so that's good. I love what the author in Hebrew says in Hebrews twelve, one through two. He says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us all the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance. What? Let us run what with perseverance? The race, right? But what race? Thank you. The race marked out for us. Colin's race is not my race. 
Bob's race is not my race. Rick's race is not my race. Holly's race is, I've got to run the race that God has marked out for me. Then he tells us how to do it by fixing our eyes on Jesus. The moment that we take our eyes off Jesus is the moment that we start comparing ourselves to others. It's the moment we start looking for validation from others. It's the moment we start getting our worth from someone other than Jesus. It's the moment that we leave everything that he is giving us to do whatever it is that he has created us to do. We just abandon it the minute we take our eyes off of him, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, sat down at the right hand of God. We have a race marked out for us when I was uh, became a, a Christian when I was you know very young as a Christian I was such a hard evangelist I told y'all I think before I had a bumper sticker that said repent or go to hell like my evangelism tactics were not very effective um, and I would use scriptures I mean like don't judge me judge my fruit like I would I mean I mean it was never a you weren't speaking from like a loving heart right you know like Bob's like man what are you doing like I heard you I heard you cussing or doing something and I'm like you judge yourself buddy lest you be judged like I knew the Bible and I would use it just in the wrong way <laughs> and so I would say you don't worry about it you know you can't judge a tree except by its fruit that's a scripture, right? But what fruit? My fruit. I can't produce Colin fruit. There's no way I could work at a school like he does. I'd kill somebody. I can barely stand my own kids. We got our three grandkids. If more than two days, Holly and I have got to have counseling. That's his race. That's his fruit. If I try to start producing Colin's fruit, that's when I get in trouble. When I start trying to produce someone else's fruit, that's when we get in trouble. And as speakers, churches, pastors, man, that's a big one. Why can't we be more like that church? Why don't we do more like this church? Why don't we can't, we just need a speaker like this guy. We just need a person like this. If the worship leader was just like this, if, and it just goes on and on and on. Why? Because we're looking at other people's fruit. Bethel does what they do because they're Bethel. There'll never be another Bethel. Why? Because that's their race and their fruit. So if we could just figure out who we are and worry about watering and planting and cultivating our fruit, then our fruit is exactly what it was meant to be. And the reason we're not happy with it is why? Because our fruit is not good enough because it's not their fruit. And it's just comparison. Do you see how it's just the craziest thing? I'm preaching to myself, by the way. Like, if you haven't figured this out yet, this is my third or fourth time, I don't remember but I'm in a healing process of preaching and healing myself. And so um, if you get anything out of it, then great. But this is for me. I can only produce Matt fruit. And for some of you, you may love Jesus, but your eyes are so fixed on what everyone else thinks that it's destroying what he's got for you. I read a poem or a story by Dr. Carson. Um, oh, I might have it. Can I have my phone, Holly? Would you, would you mind handing me that? I don't know how far I can go without this going crazy. Talking about comparing yourselves. 
Sorry, this was not part of the message, but I just thought about it. This is by Dr. Ben Carson, who you may know him as a world-renowned neurosurgeon, was a political candidate. He wrote a short piece, and I read this at my friend's funeral. It says, Sometimes you're unsatisfied with your life, while many people in this world are dreaming of the life you're living. A child on a farm sees a plane fly overhead and dreams of flying, but the pilot in the plane sees a farmhouse and dreams of returning home. That's life. Enjoy yours. If wealth is the secret of happiness, then the rich should be dancing in the streets. But why do we only ever see poor kids doing that? If power ensures security, then officials should walk unguarded. But those who live simply are the ones that sleep soundly. If beauty and fame bring ideal relationships, then celebrities would have the best marriages. But those who live simply, walk humbly, and love genuinely, all will come back to you. Man asked, where was God? And I, this was my friend. Where was God when Scott died this week? And God answers the same place I sat when John the Baptist was beheaded, when Stephen was stoned, when Paul was murdered in Rome, the same place I sat when my son was crucified. I have not moved from my position. I am the same. It's not the means of exit from this earth that matters, but the destination. Live simply. It's all about God. And then close with a quote by Shane Claiborne, even as we see the horror of death, may we be reminded that love wins, mercy triumphs, life is more powerful than death, and may we all live a life that loves loudly. How beautiful is that? The life that we complain about, somebody is begging to have. Comparison takes us away from contentment. The fastest way for you to lose the race that God has you on is to take your eyes off of him, to take your eyes off of what God's called you to do. When I used to fight, you always were trained to keep your eyes on the person you were fighting because it's never the punch you see that knocks you out. It's the one you don't see. If you're running a race and somebody turns to look how far or close the person is behind them, they lose so much momentum that they get past. If you take your eyes off your race, <laughs> that's when we get in trouble. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? But one who gets the prize is the one that runs in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who completes in the games goes into strict training. They do this not for a crown that will not last, but for a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone just running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, Right? Who are you? That's all that matters. And God says, you're the masterpiece that he created. You were created to do good works, planned before you were ever born in your mother's womb. You are a masterpiece. That Greek word for that word masterpiece is poemus. 
That means you are a poem, a poetic statement that the creator of the world shares out in the universe. Can you imagine that? You are a masterpiece. I told you, I shared with you one of my major struggles is that I want to be the best at everything I do, right? I might not be able to preach as good as Bob, but maybe I can beat Josh. Like, I want, I'm going to be the best at anything I can do. And I'm not proud of it. And at times it's embarrassing. But God didn't call me to be the best. He called me to be faithful. To just be faithful. When I get to the end of this life, if I get to stand before him, if it's all true, and we stand there, he's not going to say, man, that's, the, that's my good and best son right there. Right? That's my good and fast son right there. That's my good and strong son. No, what's he going to say? That's my good and faithful servant faithful and Jeremiah learned this lesson by the way I used to make fun of Jeremiah I'm like who wants to be a prophet that cries all the time but he was crying because his entire ministry was terrible nothing he did worked no person he ever prayed for repented nobody turned and everybody that he was in relationship with got slaughtered he has the worst ministry you could ever build on and he says in Jeremiah God still protected me because why? I was faithful. It's not about having a good, successful ministry. Not about having a good, successful life. The early Christians actually identified as a Christian through their sufferings, not through their successes. Just be faithful. So that's my question for you this morning. What is your race? I know what my buddy's was. I know Scott Deardorff. I know what his race was, and he ran it well. There is no question he did what God called him to do. No question. And at the end of his life, everyone confirmed that exact thing. That was his race. What is your race? What are you called to do? You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I'm compelled to preach the gospel or it would kill me. If I didn't, that was his race, right? If you don't know what your race is, I can give you one. In Mark, Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Go into all the world. That's Selma, that's anywhere, that's Walmart, Dollar General. Go, share your story. That's part of your race. Now, there may be more to it, but you have a race. So you can't, you know, we can no longer say like, well, I just don't understand what God's called me to do. I'm 47, I don't know that either. I just quit my job not long ago. I don't know what I'm doing. I still woke up this morning. I'm like, God, I'm going to preach this message. I still don't know, what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. So if you don't know what to do, do what you do know. <laughs> what did he say? Go, love, share, give, pray, fast. Like, there, there's a lot we can do. Maybe he's not telling you whatever that specific thing is because you haven't done any of the other stuff that he told us to do. So maybe we just start doing what he's already told us to do and then we'll get this aha moment. Or maybe we come to the end of all this and realize that was the aha moment. The loving, the praying, the fasting, the giving, the sharing, the worshiping, the relationships. The, maybe that is the aha moment. But we'll never get to it if we don't stop comparing ourselves. <laughs> and if we don't stop trying to find our worth from other places than Jesus 
Our only job is to represent Jesus in everything we do. Represent. Represent Jesus. I'm going to represent Jesus. So to honor my friend Scott, how do I do that? I represent what he did. If somebody's grass needs cut, I need to go cut it. I'm representing what he did. It's the same with Jesus. So go look at Jesus and then just represent what he did. And that'll get you back in alignment, at least, to be able to hear and stop comparing and take your eyes off of everything else and put your eyes on Jesus so he can actually tell you, hey, this is your race. I need you to run it and run it well. Amen? That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So if you don't mind, could I pray for everybody real quick? Um, just open your hands. Just receive some worth and love and grace from Jesus. Even maybe today you got here and you realize you screwed it up. You've cussing your wife on the way, slapping the kids, whatever. Like Maybe you blew it already today. All your worth, all your grace, all your love, all your mercy is found in Jesus. It's not about how good you were today. So God, I just pray right now, and I just break this spirit, this sin of comparison off of us, off of myself, God. Remove it in Jesus' name, this curse of comparison. Let us see our worth from you. Let us hear how much you love us. Let us hear validation from you. Let it come from you. And I just pray that we'll be faithful with that, God. That we just be faithful with whatever it is you've called us to do. If you're at home today and you're changing diapers and you don't know what your calling is, your calling is to change diapers and love that baby and pray over that baby and that is your race. Do that and wait for the next time he tells you to do something. If you're a business owner, create a business that loves and gives and treats his employees exceptional and is a pillar of the community and just be faithful with whatever God has asked you to do. And so God, I just declare Galatians 5.1 over us that it's for freedom, God, that you set us free. So help us not to put ourselves back under this yoke of slavery by comparing ourselves to others and taking our eyes off you. So God, I just say it in my own heart and if you agree with this, you just say it in your heart. God, I am giving up this sin of comparison. <laughs> Help me to stay focused on you, God. And let me hear you. Let me hear you validate whatever my race is, not what somebody else says. And so I bless you in Jesus' name, and I say go be fruitful and multiply. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com.